0: Welcome to the content lab the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love i'm your host liz murphy impacts content strategist oh my gosh i am finally 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 back from vacation which honestly is not something i thought i would ever find myself saying normally it's oh, I'm going on vacation and I really, 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 you know, can't wait to not speak to anyone at work ever again, at least for the allotted amount of time that I have. And I was feeling that way because between, okay, so Impact Live, right? And then there was the fact that I wrote pretty much an entire website's worth of copy from scratch in 30 days. I was ready to take a vacation or in this case, a staycation because I had inside my heart, the desire to vacay, but not the budget to disappear for a little bit. Um, There was just a little bit of a problem though. So around day three, I started getting, I don't know if anybody ever feels this way, but just after a few days of pajamas and, and relaxation, I started getting really antsy. To be fair, this also kind of coincided with Patrick, ha- and Patrick's my husband, having this insane week at work where three nights in a row, which is, you know, one night is one thing, two nights, unheard of, three, I don't know. Was Jesus punishing him? I don't know what happened, but he had to work until midnight, three nights in a row. And I was just sitting there going, I'm so sorry, honey, and <laughs> watching, you know, Reruns of West Wing and Cheers, and you know I was gonna list something else cool here, but honestly, uh, I otherwise spent a lot of time watching mindless murder mystery movies on the Hallmark Channel and reading cookbooks. But whatever, I'm okay with that. That's fine. The point is, by the end of vacation, I felt really depressed. I felt depressed. I felt unproductive, and maybe it's just because I should have managed my time better but I was just so glad to get back to work this week. And apparently, work was very much ready for me to come back as well because my to-do list, that is, oh, I just picked it up. Okay, I'm not gonna talk about my to-do list because that's gonna make me dry heave, but let's just say it's pretty big. So we're not gonna focus on that right now. We're gonna focus that on the fact that I'm back, I'm back with a full episode, and this week's conversation I am super excited about. It's with Ramona, who is Impact's Head of Editorial Content. And what that means, in addition to being my fellow comma queen and partner in content crime, she is the managing editor, the gatekeeper, the goddess that exists behind the Impact blog. And the reason why that's such a big deal is, you know, a lot of organizations, they may publish one or two or three articles a week. We publish more than 20 articles a week, and we have at least two articles go up every single day, seven days a week and that's why I invited her to join me for this week's episode, to talk about what it really means to be that person who owns the content calendar for an organization. Now granted, I know most of you listening, you're not dealing at a 20 article per week scale, but you definitely wanna tune into this because regardless of whether you're dealing with a blog a day, a blog a week, two blogs a week, 20 plus blogs a week, you're still going to be dealing with a lot of the common challenges that people just do not topic about, which is the people who are creating the content for you, the personalities, the missed deadlines, the coaching, the people who just it doesn't matter if your boss has said everybody in the organization is creating content. They're going to find a way to wiggle their way out of it every single time. All of those different challenges that will stand between you and success. And that's what this whole conversation is about. What are those challenges? How do you deal with those situations realistically, with tangible takeaways? Uh, you know, I had done myself this job myself many, many moons ago, but I'll admit coming out of this conversation with Ramona, it's one of the reasons why I love talking with her just both professionally and personally, is I felt like I really came away with a lot of own techniques and tactics for myself, for my own projects. So, don't forget. Stick around after the interview for the one thing in the weekly awesome. But other than that, let's, uh, let's dive right into this interview. Well, I am very, very excited about today's guest. I have my fellow Impact Comma Queen and partner in content crime with me today, Ramona, our head of editorial content here, Impact, round of applause, woohoo!
1: Oh, hey, thank you, thank you.
0: <laughs> God, don't be too excited. I get that it's a Monday, but like you're at a 14. I'm going to need to have it come down to a seven. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it coming off of the weekend. I'm just so excited. <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar with the magic, the wonder, the myth, the legend that is Ramona, um, why don't you tell a little people, uh, tell people about who you are and what does it mean to be the head of editorial content and impact?
1: Sure. Uh, so First of all, I have to say I'm a tiny bit nervous. This is actually kind of my first interview. It's my first. Let's call it my. Um, what, what, what's the word? What's the word when when girls come out? Isn't it just like when they're a debutante or
0: like a coming yes, out? Party? Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say "quinceañera," I'm like that's not correct. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, So I guess this is my my little bit of a public debut. Um, but yeah, basically, so um, I started at impact as a, on the client services end, doing some typical account management type of things. Um, but my passion was always in the content. Um, so about two years into my career here, um, I switched into the content marketing manager role on the marketing team. And uh, most recently, in, you know, in the past year or so, that role has really evolved to focus primarily on publishing and our blog. So um, everything from creating our editorial calendar to working with everybody on the team to make sure that they create content, to working and developing the guidelines for external contributors, um, all all of that has really become my focus. And that's what's brought me to being the head of editorial content.
0: So what's interesting here about the impact blog is that I don't think people realize how much work goes into that because we're publishing approximately how many articles per day?
1: Uh, It's a minimum of two articles a day on weekdays. Mm -hmm. Uh, But most recently that's been scaling up to three or four.
0: Mm -hmm. And then on the weekends we do one each day. So it's seven days a week with between one and four posts going up, depending on which day of the week it is. Mm -hmm. And then how many contributors are you working with just internally? We'll get to the external contributors later.
1: You know, the company's growing so fast, but (laughs) it's probably around
0: Mm 50-ish. So needless to say, you kind of have your hands full. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) Well that's one of the reasons why I wanted you to come and talk with my beloved wide audience of four people today <laughs> because I wanted to talk about what it means to manage multiple contributors in content creation and and specifically when we're talking about a, a blog because Let's, let's take that hypothetical company out there that's, that's really excited about content. They're getting their people creating content, whether it's sales, the people on the front lines, their actual marketing team, whomever. You get everybody bought in But how do you actually make a publication run? Because essentially that's what happens for a lot of these organizations, right? They start out as an organization that's providing a particular service and they've decided and realized that, you know, they want to embrace Inbound. They want to become the top educators in their space or their industry. Mm -hmm. But in order to be able to do that, you can't just write one blog post once and be like, look, I did it. I put it Mm -hmm. on shelf. I framed it. See, I'm an educator. Like you have to do it not just once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe every day, every week or uh, every day of the week, Mm -hmm. maybe multiple times a day. And when you start introducing that level of complexity when it comes to planning, that's something I think a lot of people can struggle with. I mean, I would say probably the average listener isn't doing that level of publication to our scale. But what I really want to talk to you today is about like this, the, the stuff that people don't talk about when it comes to managing multiple contributors, like what are the most common problems? How mm-hmm. do you actually solve those? You know, how do you make that fun and enjoyable for you? You mm-hmm. know? So why don't we start by talking about the, the elephant in the room? You know, you become that person who is given, you know, you've been crowned with you are now the keeper of the blog or the keeper of the content strategy. I like to say
1: blog overlord.
0: <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> what is something that you wish you could go back and tell Ramona when she was first given this responsibility? Like what are the things that people should know going into this that they wouldn't otherwise know unless they had experience with it?
1: Can I swear? You can swear. I would say don't take shit from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, because I think early on, um, well, when I first came into this role, it was just me creating all of the content. When I first came on, we were doing three posts a week. I wrote them all. Um, then we scaled up to one post every single day, including weekends. Then when Bob said he wanted to go up to two posts a day, that's when we were like, okay, Ramona can't do all of that. So that's when we started <laughs> to get everybody on the team to create content. And, um, yeah, I was terrified. Mainly because, you know, writing is intimidating for people and a lot of people aren't comfortable doing it. And especially in our organization where people are mainly client facing and everyone's so busy, it was just it felt like it was I was their English teacher giving them another assignment. Um but, you know, over time, I think it probably maybe it took a year or so. Um I realize that, you know, that it isn't just about me giving them an assignment. It's for the greater good of the organization. Um, Everybody creating content here, it it helps them, you know, build their personal brand. It helps them when they get on the phone with clients to say, you know, the client, if they're brand new, they'll say that they read an article that they published maybe a week ago and they were really impressed or they want to talk about it um, for their strategy. You know, it kind of lays the foundation that they are the experts and they're not just some person they're paying to, you know, check things off on a to-do list.
0: But so you see the value in that, right? But one of the things I've struggled with in the past, cause I was in a similar position as well. I used to oversee the blog at Quintine and I managed multiple contributors. And I've also, I did, I had a similar path as you, you know, I started as a marketer on the client facing side, then I was still client facing, but I took on the content manager role. So I was managing all of the contributors for clients as well. Mm-hmm. And the, the challenge I always ran into was that I understood the value for a lot of people, like what this would do for them, what this would do for their personal brand, you know, why it's important to be creating content, you know, basically living and breathing that, you know, inbound content creation ethos. Mm-hmm. But just because it was important and valuable to me, didn't mean it was going to be valuable and important to them. And, and yeah. to go back to your original point, like don't take shit from anybody. I mean, the challenge there is that if it's not a priority to your contributors, it can be really hard to manage them mm-hmm. and ensure that they're meeting their deadlines or contributing as much as they should be, you know? And I, I'd be curious, how do you how do you deal with those one-on-one scenarios where what's valuable to you is not necessarily valuable to the other person in terms of creating content.
1: Well, I think it helps that we try to get buy-in from the top down. So everyone's creating content for us, obviously, you know, as we've scaled a little bit more of the, the C level executives don't as create as um, as frequently as they once did. But when we first started getting everyone to contribute, those were the names that we saw first on the blog. So it kind of set the expectation that, you know, no one's too busy for this because who's gonna be more busy than the CEO or, you know, the chief revenue officer, but these were the people who were regularly contributing and setting kind of the tone for the rest of the team. And, um, you know, even despite that, there's still gonna be people who don't hit their deadlines or dodge me when I'm looking for their blogs. And in terms of that, it's, again, it's really, it's been helpful getting their managers and getting, um, getting buy-in from the people who are kind of like in charge of their career paths. Um, Once we have those people on board, it makes it a lot easier for people to like prioritize this and realize that it is as important as client work.
0: I would agree with that completely. And I will say one thing too, that has been very impressive to your credit is that we still, even though some people have sat back, for example, sometimes it's like, where in the world is Bob Ruflo? Like Mm -hmm. he's not necessarily always in the country to create content, but like our COO Chris Dupre is a prolific content creator. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he's definitely busy guys. Um, You know, Marcus Sheridan, who's one of the owners as well. You know, he does that weekly podcast, Kathleen Booth, who's our VP of Marketing. Marketing, she has a weekly podcast as well. And I think you're right that if if your leaders can make the time to create content and you have the buy-in from leadership that should be there, that's really important. But one thing I do want to point out that you said that I, I think needs to be highlighted is the fact that there is kind of that two-tier approach. There's that first, like that one-to-one conversation, right? whether it's somebody hasn't hit their deadline or they've been struggling to hit the deadline, but at some point you can't be the only one having that conversation with Mm -hmm. them if they're continuing to have a problem involve a manager, like have that one-to-one, you know, Hey, I was supposed to be getting something from this person. I still haven't gotten it yet. They haven't responded to me yet. Um, But I do like in terms of how you involve leadership, I do recall at one point there was one great thing that you did, which was, You know, you surfaced the fact that you know we needed to have a a mindset shift across the organization, right? That it it does get prioritized above client work, and you talked to leadership about that, right? Mm -hmm. So what what would that say we put it above client work because we are.
1: But I made it like very clear that you know if they're not making it, um, they're not making a priority. It it makes it that much harder for for us and for the organization to, you know, maintain our website traffic or, you know,
0: just keep the machine running. (laughs) So in terms of the machine, what's kind of that first step for you as this, you know, head of editorial content managing editor of the impact blog. What's that first step? Is that the editorial calendar for you in terms of planning? Yes, absolutely. It is definitely the editorial calendar.
1: Um, I guess it kind of connects with your last question. It's like, you know, I always try to work with people and be flexible with their schedules to, you know, get them set up for success. I guess um, so. When I'm putting together the editorial calendar, I sit down and um, I think about our team and I try to space them out. You know, I try to make sure that people on the same team aren't writing too close in, con- in concession, so that they're not, you know, both spending a couple of hours. Um, on the same day towards the blog you know that's spaced out um, and then I also I try to give them a pretty long timeline in terms of creating content I'll never go to somebody and be like I need something by the end of the week or even the next week usually everyone has at least three weeks to write their and planned their content and um, yeah no every time I put it together I sit down and I give people a suggested date. If they say they have vacation or, you know, they're onboarding a client or something else is coming up, we'll try, I'll work with them to try and come up with a, another date.
0: So what do you do in terms of helping people, like not just determine, I like how you said that, you know, working with them to set them up for success. Cause on the one hand, you kind of have to, you have to lay down the law when it comes to certain things, you know, hitting those deadlines, being accountable, um, holding up the end of the bargain, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But In terms of of that one-to-one conversation around what they're actually going to be working on, how do you help people with that? How involved do you get with that?
1: Um, So I'm trying to think about how far back we've been using this. Um, But around Q1, we started using a Trello board as per the suggestion of the lovely Liz Murphy. Um, And we've been using that to kind of outline not only the topics that we... Need right now internally, um, either from the sales end or just topics that we need in terms of search or trending topics, etc. Um, but we use those to outline what we need, and then people, when they get their assigned date, they can go right in see what topics are needed and add their date their name to the card. If they see that you know there isn't a topic that they necessarily feel confident speaking on, or maybe they just don't have any interest, they still have the opportunity to pitch a topic. And most of the time, you know, I'm totally open to it. Uh, At Impact, we write about so many different topics. I think right now, currently on the blog, we have over 100. Um, So there's really nothing that can't be pivoted to really work for our audience. Um, uh, Before the Trello board, we did have a very extensive backlog of topics. Um, they had everything from, you know, things that we had seen competitors write about that we wanted to tackle as well to like articles that could be historically optimized. There was, there was a ton of stuff to people for people to choose from, but I guess one thing I realized is that a lot of people were getting analysis paralysis when it came to that, there were literally hundreds of topics in there. Um, so the Trello board really helps narrow it down. And so far I haven't had many people complain that they, you know, didn't know what to write about or didn't have any options.
0: So, but you, we also, however, for our blog, I believe, accept pitches too, right? Like it's not just kind of the, the big reservoir of all these different topics. They can come to you with their own ideas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that's actually pretty, pretty common for people to come to me um, with topics that they feel like, or, you know, they've encountered with a client or they've been reading about and have an interest in and think would be relevant to our audience. Um, so people are very much welcome to either like send me a Slack message or even pitch a topic directly on the Trello board. And when they do that, all that we really ask is you know that they make the business case for it. Um, they either tell us who the persona is, um, what keyword it's going after, and the difficulty and um, the re- uh, like the you know the search volume of it. Um, And then if they don't, they can't answer those questions, you know, most of the, most of the time they can, you know, I think everyone on our team at this point understands the concept of content marketing and won't come to us with anything too outrageous. Um, but if they can't answer those questions, you know, I try to work with them to, um, somehow make it work for one of our personas, or at least, um, make it like a fun human interest or even a fun piece for the weekends.
0: You know, and you bring up an interesting point here because one of the things I think people forget is that once you are that marketer or person who's tasked with overseeing the publication of your blog, you do, whether you realize it or not, have to put on the hat of content coach sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes the barrier to success for people in terms of creating content for a blog or, or something else is that they get stuck or they don't know how to formulate that story. So what are some of the things that you do to work with people to help shape their topics, whether it's something they've pitched to you or a a topic that they've chosen? Like what does that drafting process look like?
1: Um, Well, the one thing that usually my biggest guideline for everyone is to make sure that it's actionable. You know, we don't want people to just go off telling a story for the sake of telling a story. It needs to have you know, used to be a little bit fable, have a little bit of a moral at the end. Um, so I'll usually have people put together an outline and um, put up a general reason of like why what they're talking about is important and then break it down into um, some, you know, three to five, maybe more than that, um, lessons that came off of the story
0: so once so keeping that in mind so, so let's say i come to you ramona and say like i want to write a blog post about x y or z mm-hmm. and i give you all of that detail you mentioned right you, you know and i i understand i need to make it actionable i need to do all of these things what is that process you take people through to make that bill become the law take that topic to draft a blog Um, so I would say the first step
1: is probably an outline, you know, after we settle on the topic and depending on, you know, how much they submitted to me beforehand, um, we'll sit down with them and we'll really nail down what the key points are that they want to discuss. And from there, I'll really take a look at their thought process behind it. You know, do they have an actual like actionable advice that the reader will walk away with? Um, and if not, we'll really drill into it and try to find those key points um, that are relevant to our audience. Um, but I think the outline is, is super important. Uh, I know that there are some people when they when they first come to us, they think they can skip it. Um, but that's a huge, huge piece of our basically our quality assurance. Um, probably like one of the biggest pains pains and as in like literally it hurts me to have to do this but when somebody writes a full article and then I get it back and there's no point there's no point there's there's no flow um it just kind of jumps around and leaves you asking a lot of questions um putting the outline
0: together first really helps avoid that so here's a tough question what do you do when you get something that's put in your hands that's not good how do you have that conversation with somebody like they've come to you with this great idea. They're so excited. And then they give you something and it's just like, Oh no, no. Oh no. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go back to start. let give me the money from collecting, you know, give me the $200 you collected at go. Let's take this back to the beginning. How do you have those conversations in a way that's productive? It's obviously a
1: very hard conversation to have with people, especially if they originally came to you super excited and were very confident about writing. There's definitely been instances where people were super confident and I read it, and I was like, "Ooh, not, not that good, Not that good." Um, <laughs> but I, I guess I try to nail it down to like very clear, succinct points um, of where they went wrong and be very practical about it, you know, not make it something that's kind of opinionated and just make it. kind of a constructive criticism, Um, like um, you're speaking to the wrong audience, you're speaking towards, um, I don't know, this has changed a little bit, but in the past, um, people would speak a lot to like fellow agency folks. And at the time, we weren't doing that, you know, we were trying to speak to prospective clients. Um, So there were a lot of
0: instances where I would have to pivot that for people. And how did people typically take that kind of feedback? Because I think one of the things that, you know, I've at least struggled with in the past is I don't, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. So how do you, how do you avoid that? Or, or how do you handle that if you do? Um, if it's something like that,
1: you know, usually people take it pretty well. They might be frustrated because, you know, if they go back to the drawing board and kind of you know, change their voice a little bit. I guess if it's in terms of quality, like maybe the quality of writing wasn't as good as it could be, I try to be very gentle with that. You know, um, I'll tell people, you know, there were a lot of stylistic things that I I spotted that I really think you can improve upon, and I will give them resources on how to improve on that. One thing that I always turn (laughs) a lot of our new people to who could use some guidance is um, Anne Hanley's Everybody Writes. Because I think it's probably the best basic handbook on um, how to write for a blog, specifically. You know, it gives you um, guidance on like how to avoid wordiness and redundancy, and just kind of make your writing entertaining and clear um, and sound smart without being, you know, pretentious.
0: So, taking a step back for a moment. In terms of the whole process of you know, working with people to select their topics, collaborating with them on their editorial calendars, working with them in those one-on-one scenarios of you know, providing that constructive feedback, what are some of the most common rookie mistakes you think people make if they're the person who's having to manage all of these different writers and, and that they should be aware of?
1: I think it's probably assuming that everyone's going to be a good writer. I think that a lot of people who are good writers um, kind of take that skill for granted. And, and um, until you, you know you really get into the weeds of it and start to like read a bunch of different people's styles, um, you may be surprised. Um, there's definitely a lot of people that I've spoken to and, you know, you would think that, you know, speaking to them, they're going to be a a super, um, just beautiful writer and it it doesn't come across sometimes. Um, so I guess it's kind of being sensitive to to that and being prepared to like offer that kind kind of constructive criticism or at least pivot in a way where people can create content that maybe isn't necessarily fully written.
0: And I think it also is on the flip side of this as well. I remember one of the things that I experienced often was you have you have the one side where you expect people to be great writers and then you realize you need to do a little bit more holding, a little bit more coaching, a little bit more opportunities for improvement and development. Mm-hmm. But I've also found the flip side of that too, where some of the people who said they, oh, I don't know what to write about. Oh, I don't have a story to tell they sometimes ended up being these like sleeper sensations, you know what I mean? Like you could, I think on the one hand, you know, be very careful of those people who are like, I'm a prolific content creator, I'm great, or any, or making any assumptions, but I think it cuts the other way, you know, Mm -hmm. don't make assumptions about people who say they don't have a story to tell, or who are resistant to writing, because sometimes they can be the unexpected assets, you know? Absolutely. I can actually say that for a lot of people on our creative,
1: like our design and development team, a lot of them are not confident writers. And when they put together a piece, it's usually one of the best in the organization.
0: (laughs) So how do you build up people's confidence levels then? Because that's something I think people come across with a lot. Like, oh, I'm really comfortable as a designer, as an engineer, Mm -hmm. as an X, Y, or Z, but I'm not a writer but you know they are. How do you extract that out of them?
1: Um, You know, I try to start off by having them really write about something that they're passionate about. Even if, you know, even if they're so intimidated or so, like, just not interested in writing, um, I try to get them started by, like, nailing down a topic that is absolutely something that they totally love and totally enjoy and totally enjoy talking about with me conversationally and just get that put into words. (laughs) on a screen. Um, and usually that works, you know, there's, um, Marcella, for example, Marcella does not like writing, but there's been some instances where, you know, I've had her write about, um, I think it was like putting together or creating video thumbnails. And she came to me afterwards. She's like, I really enjoyed putting this together. And I'm like, I know you did (laughs) because, you know, it's your opportunity to really show your skill and share, um, your unique voice on something that you love
0: so we've talked a lot about those internal contributors but you also are you also oversee our external contributor program as well right Mm -hmm. can you tell me before we start diving into the nitty-gritty of that can you just uh, give a brief overview of what that means yeah so uh Over the years, people
1: have always emailed us and asked, Can, oh, do you guys take guest posts? And, you know, we've had them once in a while. Um, But, you know, in the past few years, it's been a lot more. You know, our traffic has been great. We have a great reputation. And more and more contributors are coming and asking for that opportunity. Um, So recently, we did start a contributor program. where we're having thought leaders or up-and-coming thought leaders who can prove their expertise um, contribute content to the site. And um, right now, it's kind of in beta. You know, we have a small group of people that we're working with. Um, but um, aside from that, we also have a section on the site where people can apply to be a contributor or even, you know, to participant sponsor content, but that's a different deal. Um, but basically, you know, contributors come in and I ask them for two or three topics that they are consider writing for our audience. Um, I ask for links to their social media accounts, primarily Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, I asked them for, you know, to explain why they're an expert on this topic. Um, and then also give us some basic information like the company they're coming from and whatnot. Um, primarily we try to go for people who are, are fairly well established. Um, Cause you know, that vouches for our quality as well. You know, impact has a, a pretty pretty good reputation in terms of um, presenting quality and presenting, you know, really sound, new progressive um, advice. Um, So we wanna make sure that the people who are contributing to our site can offer the same thing.
0: So when we think about the external contributor program. I mean, it, it's not uncommon for businesses to reach out to other influences, influencers in their own industry to potentially do a blog post. You know, That's a great way to bring traffic to your site to get people's eyes who might not otherwise be on your site on your site. But I'd be curious to hear from you, what are some of the unique challenges that come with the territory of people who are outside of your organization that you have to collaborate with? Uh, in terms of creating content for our blog and and how you how you manage those situations
1: uh, it 's absolutely quality quality is a huge uh, a huge hurdle for us um, and it was kind of what it 's kind of what 's always been in the way of getting our our footing in terms of external um, contributions like i said we 've had tons of interest from people basically all over the world and Um, there's been many instances where we accepted, you know, we've accepted posts from people and the quality just wasn't where we needed to be. Either the advice was just, you know, against best practice or that it just was completely out of left field or, um, the quality of writing wasn't there. It was difficult to understand or, um, it was just, you know, it didn't fit our voice. There was a bunch of different issues in terms of quality. That so have come
0: up. It seems to add an extra layer then of sensitivity in terms of you're not just providing feedback to get great quality work, you're providing feedback, but you have to do so in a way that doesn't kind of burn the bridge of a relationship because some people can be a little bit more sensitive to it. And when you take, when you pull, pe- when you're working with people who are outside of your organization, mm-hmm. that can be a little bit more challenging. So how do you manage those types of situations?
1: Uh, well, we try to set the expectation really early on of what we expect. We have a huge, um, we have a page on the website with very detailed guidelines of what the impact um, standard is um, in terms of quality and everything down to length and voice, etc. Um, so we really try to make sure that people go through that beforehand and we make it very clear in there that if they don't hit those guidelines, we're going to have to go through revisions until they do. And um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, when you go into these relationships with um, fellow professionals, you know, you really hope that you would hit those instances where everyone kind of understands that, you know, this is um, it's going on somebody else's site. It's a representation of their brand and you really hope that they um, understand that, you know, you, you want to put the best foot forward and whatever you're saying isn't personal. It's, it's really to just make sure that all goals are achieved. Um, but in terms of running into those instances and how I handle them. It's kind of the same way that I would with the team. Um, but I would say maybe I, I I try to be a bit more direct in these instances. Um, just because, again, we, we have that established kind of like professionalism. We do realize that it is more of kind of a, um, it's a partnership, but also it's kind of a transaction, you know? Um, so I try to make it very clear, you know, what, what impacts, you know, expectations are and why they're still valuable and why they're, um, they exist so that, you know, the contributor can benefit as well.
0: What I find so fascinating about your job is that whether you're talking about internal contributors or external contributors or editorial calendar, you know, you spend a lot of t- your time, you know, down in the weeds, making sure the machine is still running, that we're putting out quality content. But when you take a step back and look at that kind of 80,000 foot view, how do you make sure that everything that's coming out of this big machine that you oversee is is in line with our larger vision? You know, like it's not just the quality of the single piece that goes out on Tuesday at 1130. Mm -hmm. It's ensuring that this overarching story of impact is being told in a particular way
1: I think it. I mean, it does start with each individual piece as uh, you know, I kind of discussed most of the time I'm having one-on-one conversations with our contributors, whether they're internal or external, it's kind of like starting from square one to make sure that each piece, um, speaks to impacts core values. You know, we stand for passion dependability and helpfulness, and we want to make sure that every piece that we
0: put together exudes those things. So have you ever had instances in the past, though, where you really struggled to get that kind of quality out of people? And and what do you do? Because we've we've touched upon it a little bit in these one-on-one conversations. But, I mean, let's just be honest here. You know, sometimes there are challenges where, you know people aren't contributing the way they're supposed to be, you know, they're not living up to that core value of dependability and they're not delivering or what they are delivering obviously doesn't have the passion or, or, or anything behind it. But the, the types of issues where it's not like, Oh, they're struggling with this particular article, you know, the, the habitual repeat offenders, mm-hmm. you know, and how do you, how do you manage those types of situations?
1: Well, you know, it depending on who it is. Um, Sometimes we'll have to escalate to a manager or maybe even higher up. Um, but when the quality isn't where it needs to be, possibly from somebody who is, isn't habitual, um, kind of just get back into the weeds. You know, either I will tackle it or I will work with them um, through revisions until it's ready. It will not go out if, it, if the quality is not there.
0: Wow. So in those cases, what happens? Do you put something else up in its stead or is it just like not going to print guys? <laughs> no, we usually, if
1: that, if something like that does happen, I'll find something, um, that's a little bit older and optimize it, you know, add a little bit, something new, um, and get something new out. Well, republish it as new, do a little historic optimization. Um, for example, last week, you know, we we were coming off of, uh, Uh, a heavy vacation week in the office and a a few people missed their deadlines. Um, So there were a couple of days where I did have to republish old pieces. Um, So rather than publish something that was completely, you know, been there, done that, um, I took like an example post and I swapped out, I think five or six of the examples and added uh, two or three new ones, Um, rewrote the intro, changed the cover, the featured image, and I published it as new. So we keep the machine moving any way we can.
0: (laughs) But that's an important point to bring up though, is that, you know, it's important to go into this and, you know, you do, I know you do extensive planning with the editorial calendar. You do that pretty far in advance for each month. You Mm -hmm. spend a lot of time working with each person to get that calendar where it needs to be. But sometimes, you know, people are going to miss deadlines. You mentioned you do historical optimization of some older posts. What are some other things that you do kind of in your bag of tips and tricks in terms of, okay, my plan is now suddenly imploding right before my eyes.
1: I would probably do kind of a quick win thing. Like for us, for example, infographics always do really well. So if a a situation arises where, you know, we need good content quickly, I'll go hunting for an infographic and put together a brief article where we share that. Um, Yes, it's not an a thousand, two thousand word article, but it's still something of value that our audience will like.
0: So going back to that original discussion, though, you know, it, it, you and I have talked about this before extensively, you know, in the abstract, and this is something I think that comes when you're working with sometimes larger teams, or maybe sometimes it's smaller teams, the people Mm -hmm. who feel like the rules don't apply to them, Mm -hmm. or for some reason, it doesn't like the, the, the people who are constantly missing deadlines I think anybody who's ever managed a publication of any kind for a business will will deal with this in one way or another. The person where it's like i 'm going to give them a deadline and it 's not going to be hit. Mm-hmm. you know it, How do you manage that not just in that one to one but also from the message that it sends to everybody else who's supposed to be hitting their deadlines because that's not a great message that it sends to the team
1: absolutely uh, well recently we've um, we've put in In the Trello board, we've included what we like to call the box of shame. (laughs) So the box of shame is basically a column that everyone in the company can see um, that you get put into if you miss your deadline or you dodged me completely when it came to your blog article. Um, So your name, your topic, our entire conversation or lack thereof (laughs) related to your, your piece Um, is put up there for everyone to see. And um, it seems kind of mean, like putting somebody in the stocks, you know? (laughs) Um, But it's kind of, uh, you know, if you're not, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, I suppose. It holds everybody accountable and um, it shows that i mean business, I suppose.
0: So we've talked a lot about, you know, dealing with a lot of the challenges and the problems and the fires that you need to put out and the things that come up. But what, what do you think is the most, what are the most rewarding aspects of your job in terms of being the person who manages the herd of cats and, and gets content <laughs> out of everybody?
1: It makes me really happy when, you know, somebody will come to one of our events or meet us in person maybe there maybe it's even as a job applicant you know they come into the office and they say like i love reading the content every single day and i you know i turn to them and i say you know i don't write for our blog as much anymore he's like yeah but you know the the topics that you guys put out and the, like the quality of the content that you guys keep putting out um it's really impressive and like there's so much good stuff in there that's what i know you know that's what i do it for to know that we're helping people and that people actually enjoy and find what we're putting out useful, that it makes a difference for them and their businesses.
0: And what about internally too? I mean, I loved that story you told about Marcella coming to you saying, I really enjoyed writing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love helping people discover kind of their their inner voice, if you will. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't think that they have that, that writing bone in them or they don't think that they have um, the expertise. They don't think they have any authority to talk about a topic. Um, but when they put together, you know, an article or if they put together a video or something else like that um, and they start to see the views come in or the comments, even if it's just one or two, you know, it makes them really, it builds their confidence, you know, to let them know that they they do know what they're talking about and that, you know, it's helping people.
0: So let's say I'm that person who is listening to this and and I have, maybe it's just a small blog. Maybe it's just like three or four people. Maybe it's just one or two blogs a week, but I am, mm-hmm. I am terrified. You know, I'm terrified of managing all these deadlines and maybe a couple of my contributors are actually technically my boss or like Mm -hmm. higher than me. So how do I hold them accountable? And I'm just really nervous and I don't want to screw this all up. What would be your biggest piece of advice to me to keep in mind?
1: Start small. I would say that, you know, creating content doesn't have to be intimidating. It doesn't have to be like essays long to begin with. It's, you know, even if you start on a platform, like LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that, you know, just start small and start um, testing the waters. Ask somebody a question on Facebook or, you know, if you have a thought about your industry, um, write a status. You don't know what can become of it. You know, once you just kind of start writing, it can very quickly turn into a longer piece. Actually, another thing that I want to say is, you know, um, keep at it because, you know, there's a lot of even myself, you know, being in this position, being a lover of content and marketing in general. Um, initially, when I first started the position of content marketing manager, Impact, yes, we had a great reputation. We had good traffic and people were reading our stuff. But I, I would say we didn't really start to see the traction in terms of um, search and um, just like the volume of, you know, people commenting and sharing, etc. cetera. We didn't see that until maybe a year or year and a half into me having the position. Um, And when it happened, it was like the flip of the switch. Our traffic skyrocketed, our search rank was so much higher, Alexa rank, everything on our site just like compiled and um, turned into this great machine for us in terms of lead generation and traffic generation. So I would say even if you're not seeing the results initially, you know, you have to keep that mentality that consistency, um, is going to compound over time. And then I guess in terms of people contributing content, um, lead by example, you know, you have to show them that it doesn't have to be hard or it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, just start creating content yourself and maybe do a bunch of different examples that people can see that, you know, it doesn't have to be, Um, this, again, like a novel. (laughs) They don't have to write a novel. They don't have to write an essay. You know, there's a bunch of different ways that they can get their voice out there.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Ramona. If people have more questions or they want to get in touch with you with, you know, their deepest, darkest fears about managing multiple contributors, how do they find you?
1: Um, you can find me on find me on the LinkedIn, you know, or Twitter uh, at Ramona Sukhraj. My last name is a tongue twister. I realize that, um, but it's at R A M O N A S U K H R A J, and I'm pretty fast to respond. So feel free to ask me questions.
0: And you're also on the Grams too, if I'm not mistaken. I am on the
1: Grams. I am. If you want to follow me, you know, it's not, there's no marketing stuff there, but <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at fromramonawlove. So a little play on from Rome with love.
0: Well, thank you. Go forth and create content, everybody. <laughs> Bye. I've already kind of admitted this, but let's just put it out there. That conversation was totally selfish in a lot of ways, but let's talk about the first two uh, or the two most important. Uh, A, I love any excuse to nerd out with Ramona over content, but B, I have to admit it's really cathartic as someone who oversees content and works with people on content to speak honestly about the highs and lows of content creation. Because so many people don't talk about how the sausage gets made when it comes to regularly publishing content, whether that's on a blog or as a podcast or in any other capacity. And that really leads me to my one thing for this week. Like I said at the start of this episode, I've been in a role like Ramona's before in the past. Uh, before Quintine merged at Impact, I actually acted as the managing editor for Quintin's blog, but not nearly to the same scale. But the thing that I learned that I never expected, you know, I was really excited to dive into that role because I love storytelling, I love shaping narratives, I love commas and semicolons and ampersands and all that good stuff. But the biggest lesson I learned about managing any sort of regular content publication, blog or otherwise, is to remember that a lot of your role will be centered around managing relationships, not even the words, the people because whether you're giving good feedback, bad feedback, working with people on deadlines, whether you're, you know, meeting somewhere in the middle because they're super busy, or having those tough conversations because someone just isn't meeting them, Or, you know, one of my favorite things that I think I mentioned during this. Oh, yeah, I did. I mentioned it during this episode because I'm super smart. Um, I mentioned the fact that one of my great joys is extracting great content out of people who say to me, you know, Liz, I just don't really have a story to tell. I don't I don't know what I'm going to write about. And that's what this is all about is that yes, it's about those deadlines. It's about getting those that content out there in front of the right people at the right time so you move the needle for your business so you can show your boss that yes, content is actually worth it, this investment is worth it. But your job, in order to be really successful, to produce that quality, to get people to wanna work with you is about the people as much as the content. And that's something I like to remind myself of a lot, especially when I get down in the weeds because content creation is the thing that a lot of people in your organization are going to avoid. It feels like homework. You're going to feel like that mom nagging your children, "No, you ha you can't just brush your teeth once a week." Yes, twice a day. No, no, no. There's no bargaining. None of that. You know, you're going to feel like the nag and it's a good way to center to yourself because while there are times that I need to provide some critical feedback or lay down the law with some tough love, I know that in a lot of cases, depending on what the project is, I am going to define how people in my organization feel about creating content and impact. And that's a lot of responsibility, but it can be really exciting one, too. So whenever you're feeling frazzled, take a breath and remember that part of your role, if you are this gatekeeper of content, if you are the conduit, the project manager, is to focus on your people and empower them to create great stuff, but also enjoy the process as much as possible, too. Now, the funny thing is, is that we're going to talk about my weekly opposite, which is uh, kind of the exact opposite of everything that I was just saying. There's this great quote from Lorne Michaels, who, in case you didn't know, is the comedy godfather mastermind behind Saturday Night Live. And it's from an interview he did with Harvest, or Harvest, haha, Harvard Business Review on talent management. When he was asked, what is the secret to being creative on a deadline? And this is something I know a lot of us struggle with. And, you know, if you're an editor working with people within your organization, you know other people struggle with it, too. I loved his answer. His answer wasn't about inspiration. It wasn't about, you know, go out into the forest, look at a tree, you know, sketch in a book, center yourself, go on a look at the... No, he said, knowing the deadline is real. That focuses people's thinking. We don't go on because we're ready. We go on because it's 1130. There's no getting out of it. And I freaking love that because when you're in the role of being a content manager, a managing editor, a head of editorial content, a marketing coordinator or manager who's being asked to do 18 different jobs, which also includes somehow making sure the show must go on, it is striking a balance between working with that people, so that warm and fuzzy people component I was just talking about, but also ensuring that you keep those deadlines within your laser sights because we should be spending a lot of time focusing on quality in our people but at the end of our at the end of the day if content is in your wheelhouse you need to know that your mistress is the ticking clock of your deadlines so don't sacrifice you know your goals or your deadlines because someone else didn't deliver or something went wrong. If somebody didn't deliver, yeah, you're going to have to go back and address that, but have backup plans. I love that Ramona talked about in this conversation today about having tools and tricks and and little things in her, in her bag of content, like going back and historically optimizing really popular posts and republishing them as new, or infographics, which are A, easy to pull together, and B, tend to perform really well for when you're in a pinch, for when you need to get something out the door, but whatever was supposed to be in that stable is not ready yet. That also means though, you can't let perfect be the enemy of good if you need to get something up and done. Whenever I do large projects, like for example, let's say a big piece of pillar content, In my brain, and my process, I always have what I call an MVP or minimum viable product for those of you who are used to project management and product development. Um, I have an MVP version in my brain of this is what I need to do in order to go live. Is it perfect? No. But like I was saying, actually, in a meeting earlier this week, I said, you know, when it comes to a lot of my larger content processes, I have a Prius version in my head, which is good enough to go live. And then we'll build to the Rolls Royce. We'll come back and start iterating in an agile format to get the content where it needs to be, to be more robust. So yes quality is insanely important in order to remain competitive in order to stand out with your content because we know that the market for content is increasingly crowded but you also can't get derailed by trying to attain some insane level of perfection i have watched too many content projects blogs ebooks white papers, pieces of pillar content where people just get so down in the weeds, where they're trying to create, you know, Vincent van Gogh's starry night out of something that really would have just been fine as a moderately good finger painting, you know, get it out the door. So I'm going to repeat that quote one more time from Lauren Michaels because I have it on a post-it on my desk and it's just so important. We don't go on because we're ready. We go on because it's 1130. There's no getting out of it. Deadlines. Do not forget them. Live by them. All right. And with that little bit of tough love, it's time to wrap up another delightful episode. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us and find me on Google Play and Stitcher. Um, let's see. What else? Well, if you want to connect with me directly, you can find me at NatTownPint. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. You can also connect directly with the podcast at Content Lab, uh, also on Twitter and Instagram. Please don't forget to leave a review if you are happening to just, you know, you know, find yourself with a few extra minutes hanging out on iTunes or Google Play. You know, I love validation. I love hearing how great I am. But again, this is episode five. This is a very new podcast reviewing the podcast helps us get found. So I appreciate that. Anyway, until next week, when I am going to have another special guest, Kevin Phillips, who is going to talk all about our favorite excuse that we hear from people all the time. But I'm not really a writer. But anyway, until next week.